This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello, and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, what's going on? Not too much. And we also have joining us our very special guest, Dr. Curtis Harris of Pro Hoops History. Welcome, Curtis. Thanks, Jason. And I'm glad you remembered the doctor this time. It was very... <laughs> Yeah, hey, uh, well, well, yeah, I got to give the doctors respect after all. I mean, you did so, earn it. You did earn it. So, hey, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not a doctor. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be recognize- anytime soon, I don't think. So, yeah, yeah you earned it. No, you, you pulled people off. We recognize two doctors here. We recognize Dr. J. We recognize Dr. Curtis Harris. We do not, re- we do not recognize um, uh, any other docs, however, not even Dr. Rivers. So, Ooh, yeah, they not, 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 wow. not Dr. Rivers. Yeah. Yeah, we just call him Glenn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, we just call him Glenn. Of- Proviso East's finest alum. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, we are here, unfortunately, for uh, sad reasons. Uh, Bill Russell, uh, the greatest winner in basketball, probably in pro sports history, certainly on a team level, passed away at age 88. Day that we, you know, I think we've even talked about maybe on the air about, like, how are we going to handle when Bill Russell finally passes on and and here we are we've got a collection of memories going to talk about some of his greatest accomplishments some of his greatest most critical games but we're just gonna keep it loose here and talk about what bill russell meant to us so curtis what if you were going to try to have any kind of summing up of what bill russell meant to the NBA, when meant to the world at large, what would you say? Well, starting off with the small questions, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, <laughs> That's why this kind of set the stage. Tell us about the impact of one of the most important <laughs> figures in uh, sports and, and human history. Yeah. Well, um, pretty safe argument for him being the most important player in NBA history. Um you know, leave aside arguments about who's the best player. Like, I'm, I'm talking most important uh, player in NBA history. Um, and then, you know, just the fact that, uh, you know, I'll, unfortunately, like, I got nothing to do right now. Uh, it's summer break. So, uh, you know, just checking the news and, like, you know, CNN and NBC devoted a good chunk of time to Bill Russell, like, not just his basketball, but uh, his civil rights uh, work. So, uh, I think there's very few athletes who, when they pass on, are going to have like a, you know, a portion on a, a network like CNN where they're going to talk about, oh yeah, he was a great athlete, fantastic, but also give like e- equal time to what they did off the court uh, in such a fashion. So you know, it's, it's Bill Russell, uh, Muhammad Ali recently obviously had a similar, um, I guess, type of uh, honoring when he passed away. Uh, really going forward, I, the only person on the horizon that's going to get that kind of similar treatment, I think, is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So um, clearly, clearly a hugely important uh, player, but also just person uh, in U.S. history, I think. Yeah, it was it was, you know, today I was listening to uh, uh, NBA radio uh, most of the day on, on Sirius XM and they had a uh, there was uh, just a, n- a number of people just coming on and talking. And Curtis, exactly what you said, everybody, you know, initially had to qualify. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the basketball in a second. This was old players. This was, you know, Bob Ryan that went on there. These were, and every single person started the interview exactly the same way. They would say, yeah, one of the greatest winners, but the other stuff, let's talk about the other stuff. And like you said, that, that it, it's really cool to see it be that way, that it's not, it's so easy 
to just look at 11 titles and we'll talk about, you know, 21 and 0 in elimination games and that sort of stuff. And there's a lot of places where you're going to get that and people are going to talk about the all time winner and all that sort of stuff. But this is today, you know, it's an unfortunate day. It's an unfortunate news and, and all this stuff, but it is an important day because then it does allow everybody to have those same conversations again and, and, and go back to, Hey, this is what this guy went through. And this guy, this is in our lifetimes. This is, this is not, you know, 1850. This isn't, you know, 200 years ago. This is a man who all of us saw in the living, in the flesh. And this is what he endured not that long ago, pretty recently. This is what he endured. And, and I think that is one of the most important parts about a day like this and, and, and why, like you said, it shows that he's not just an athlete, that it isn't just, hey, this guy was really, really good and he accomplished a lot. It's it's about more than that. And every single person that I heard talk about him did not want to start out with talking about the winning, did not want to start and talk about, oh, he's a great defensive player and this is what he did offensively. And yeah, he didn't score, but he did. It was all about, well, here's, you know, what he did and here's what he meant to me and here's what he meant to, um, you know, just people that, 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 you know, just the NBA at large, humans at large, uh, and, and particularly, you know, minorities at large. And, and that's just an incredible, incredible legacy that, that, that he led. And, and I agree, it is awesome that that is front and center uh, in every single thing is, is, is less so the play on the court, which is, we'll get to, of course, and, and you have to, because that's what makes him that much more legendary. But I think what truly cements him as a legend in, in, in sports and in, you know, just human history basically is, is what he did outside of the game. Um, until the literally until the day, you know, the, the final few years of his life, he, he was still very, very active and very vocal and 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 did so much to help so many people and and still, at, you know, in, in some ways, you know, still fighting against a lot of the same stuff that that he was fighting against 50, 60 years ago, which which sucks. Yeah. No, and just uh, furthermore, to add on to that, uh, even when people would speak about him uh, in terms of playing basketball, it wasn't even so much how he played basketball. It was just uh, his interaction with teammates and uh, people would just talk about like, yeah, like just, just his attitude toward winning is what was like really important for us. Um, there, there weren't a whole lot of focus. There wasn't a lot of focus on particular games, maybe because people don't remember the games. Like it, it was, you know, 60 years ago, but um, people, well, I mean, there's very few people left now who have played with him, but people who like, uh, I guess the next, next generation afterwards, um, like I saw an interview with Kareem um, and then obviously much later on people like Doc Rivers and um, I was watching ESPN and like Kendrick Perkins was talking about it. And I was like, yeah, like this is how influential Bill Russell was. Like even Kendrick Perkins was sounding uh, coherent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. No, uh, I, mean, hey, you know, I like, don't disagree. Kendrick, Kurt, Perkins, so. <laughs> Kendrick Perkins was like, you know, he was talking about how, you know, just how Bill Russell affected him as a person. And so like, even uh, when they were talking about basketball, it was even strictly about uh his blocking his rebounding his defense it was just how he influenced people and their personalities and in their demeanor and how they approach basketball uh so even, even then it was still like transcending the simplicity of like um yeah the rebounds and the blocks mm-hmm. yeah and i mean i think that you know even the like bill russell you know the, there's people out there you know who are dumb who make plumber jokes or whatever but like bill russell like never got like people just respected bill russell so much for who he was what he stood for just his presence was just um you know really you know almost regal in a way um he just commanded respect because of who he was and what he did uh, even other people who you know might disrespect the game of his era aren't just going to disrespect him because of just you know what a tremendous player and tremendous you know athlete he was and you know and i 
I don't like to throw the word hero around lightly. That's not usually a word I use. And it's really not really a, a word I would use mostly for athletes, you know, because obviously we're just talking about a game here. But in terms of like what he stood for in his life, what he faced, um, you know, what he uh, accomplished both as an athlete and, and as a as a person, I, I, I don't think I think hero, you know, definitely, you know, fits uh, some of what he was able to do in his life. Yeah. And, and one thing that I always remembered about Bill Russell, you know, especially growing up and, and not, you know, obviously watching his games in real time as I was growing up or whatever, is just that when he appeared on television, when he appeared at a game, when he was at an all-star game, when he was at an NBA finals, uh, you know, handing somebody the MVP trophy or whatever, the one that eventually, you know, had his name on it. Like there was just that he had this presence about him, this, this immense respect that you couldn't, you couldn't not like you couldn't Russell Bill Russell couldn't walk in the room and players could just continue tying their shoes. You know what I mean? They had to stop and and, and stand up and hey, how are you like they, it? Just he commanded that presence and he wasn't the biggest guy. You know what I mean? He, he's a very big guy, obviously, but but there's something about his presence that bigger guys will walk in the room. Bigger guys have played in the NBA. Bigger guys have done, but they they don't command that presence that Bill Russell did. And I, that kind of applied to the way he played on the court as well, because, you know, you watch games and you're like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's big and he's athletic, but like there's bigger guys and there's more athletic guys, but they're not Bill Russell. They don't command the, the, the respect that Bill Russell does. They don't command the gravity that a Bill Russell does. And you saw that when you go back and watch old games and you saw that even in his post-playing career, that when he walked into the room, everything stopped and it was all about, holy crap, here's Bill Russell. And everybody had to pay their, whether it's their respects, their, their whatever, or just to pick his brain for even a second if you could, because uh, you knew you were going to get something out of every single conversation you had with the guy. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, um, you know, if you just want to look at you know, his basic key NBA accomplishments, we've obviously shared these uh, before, but just to just kind of break it down, just of uh, you know, how immense accomplishments that he had. You know, 11 championships, 12 finals in 13 years, including eight titles in a row. You know, Hall of Famer as a player and a coach. He was the first black coach in the NBA. Five times MVP, 11 times All-NBA, three times on the first list. Obviously, he played with Chamberlain during that time. A lot of times he was on the first team list. Uh, second all-time in rebounds per game. First all-time in playoff rebounds per game. He actually had the most rebounds per minute all-time, 0.53, which is only player in NBA history to average 0.5. Or higher, so it wasn't just era. You know, it, there was other things going on too. Obviously, there was a lot of misses during that time. But he was, you know, he would have been a great rebounder in any era, of course. Um, only one of four players on the NBA's twenty fifth, thirty fifth, fiftieth, and seventy fifth anniversary teams. Uh, you know, who knows how many blocks he would have had if they were charting it, obviously, a ton, but, you know, was known, I mean, basically invented so many concepts of modern defense, you know, blocking shots effectively, you know, leading to, you know, great offense for um, his team, uh, you know, uh, it, just all over the court in terms of how he played defensively, able to, you know, guard big and small players, you know, switching help defense. I mean, the, the Celtics basically made a living of just, you know, what they called, Hey, Russ defensive. Basically they would call out Russ David. He would cover, you know, the territory they needed to, and was able to, you know, they led the league in defense basically every year that um, he was on the team, you know, most, most of that time by a mile. Um, Yeah. And, you know, post playing, he was also, um, you know, he he later on, uh, you know, he was able to uh, accomplish a lot as an NBA coach. You know, as, as we said, he was a Hall of Famer, both as a player and as coach, a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011, a Lifetime Achievement Award won in the NBA in 2017, NBA Finals MVP named after him starting in 2009, first black player inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame in 1975. He actually boycotted that because he felt the Hall of Fame was a, a, a racist institution. 
I would uh, say 19- if he's the first guy inducted in 1975, he's probably right on the money there. Jesus uh, that was strong case just, for that, yes. Good God. Just, just, I couldn't just believe that. Aside. I had to look at that like seven times <laughs> to make sure I didn't have that wrong. What? Now, just a quick aside. They, they had inducted the New York Renaissance as a team. Okay. So that had happened. So first man, first individual, I guess. Sure. Yeah, first individual black player. Individual yeah. Black player. Yeah, yeah, other than the Harlem Rands, it was just Bill Russell. But yeah. Right. right. So. Yes. Yes. So thank that you. doesn't invalidate his point, but I just want to make sure the Rams were not lost. Right, 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 right. I appreciate you that clarification. Yes. Uh, 1980 was a vote of the greatest player in the history of the NBA by the PBWA. And uh, 2013, he was finally given a uh, statue by the city of Boston in uh, City Hall Plaza. Obviously, uh, his relationship with Boston was uh, was complicated, I think is a, a, a fair word to say. So, yeah, I mean, that's just overwhelming again uh, as a player. Um, you know, one of the greats of all time, certainly on the very short list of, of greatest players of all time in NBA history and in terms of you know leading the, the greatest dynasty in NBA history, um, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think, um, you know, we've, we've got a lot of uh, stories and anecdotes, uh, you know, listed here that we're going to start uh, talking about. Uh, Curtis, do you, is there any uh, favorites, uh, you know, Bill Russell stories, you know, ones that you know are ones that you've heard over the uh, last couple of days as people are sharing their memories. Um, I get, I guess where I get started is just uh, kind of on your list of, um, I guess your list of accomplishments and honorary honorifics that Russell got. Um, of course, the Finals MVP award is named after him, but as we know, he never got one himself. So, uh, you know, last summer I. Did my, my you know my stupid fan, fantasy project of who, who, who would have won this award had it actually existed at that moment in time? Uh, so the finals MVP didn't uh, get awarded until 1969. So Jerry West got it that year, uh, and I would say deservedly so. Like I think at that point he was the best player in that series, even though Russell was in that same finals. Uh, but you know he was at the very end of his career. Uh, but by my estimation, uh, looking at the stats and everything, and just like newspaper reports. Like, I think it's safe to say Russell got at least nine finals MVPs, <laughs> uh, which I think, like, just starting there, I think, uh, you know, Bill Russell's stories, I think it's just starting with the uh, the uh, hypothetical of, like, what if there was a finals MVP? This man would have had at least nine of them, by my estimation. Um, and that's me being generous, being like, well, I'll, I'll, like, he's already got nine of them. I'll, like, kind of ease up and, like, let's give Bob, Bob Cousy one. Uh just because, like, it's kind of close, let's just give Bob one since he doesn't have one right now. Um, but, like, imagine how much more, uh, you know, Titanic Russell's career looks if we have, like, you know, 11-time NBA champion, but also nine-time finals MVP, and then also, what, you know, six, seven, eight-time defensive player of the year winner because right. they didn't have the defensive player of the year award either in, in, in that period. Uh, and you mentioned the blocks. Like, they didn't track blocks. So, like um, – is either him or Will Chamberlain, all-time leader in blocks in NBA history. So, like, as good as his resume looks right now, like, it should be even um, mm-hmm. more fantastic when you consider, like, what they weren't keeping track of, what they weren't handing out. Uh, but what is there is still, you know, pretty damn amazing. Um, I, I guess just to start with one particular game that always comes to my mind is the um, the Game 7 from 1962, the NBA Finals, where – you know, he had the 30 points and 40 rebounds in an overtime victory over the, the L.A. Lakers. And, you know, that that's just like the go-to game to point out when people are just like, well, you know, Russell 
wasn't that good at offense. It's like, okay, well, he wasn't scoring the ball like Bo Chamberlain, but like he wasn't a zero on offense. Like he did have 30 points in a you know, game seven. And the final score was 110, 107. So it wasn't like a barn burner, like, you know, 160 to 150. Uh, every point counted. And sorry for this little mini rant, but uh, I, I can't remember the field goal percentage, but Russell in that, that particular game, he shot something like 55% from the field that game. So it wasn't like a, you know, uh, a low effort percentage like he's like, you know, kind of cleaned up because uh, he just took a lot of shots. Uh, I do remember he was 14 for 17 from the free throw line mm-hmm. in that game, which was highly unusual for Bill Russell because he shot 55% uh, for his career from the free throw line. So uh, that, that game for me, is like the perfect Bill Russell game where it's like when the team needed him to score, he was out there scoring because everybody else was kind of cold from the field. Uh, clearly, he was the one who's going to rebound. Those 40 rebounds are uh, a record for the NBA playoffs. And career 55% free throw shooter, team needs every single point. He manages to make 85% of his free throws in that one particular game that, that they win by three points in overtime. So, like, if he had missed his average number of free throws, they would have lost that, that game in the series. So, uh, for me, that that's the quintessential uh, Bill Russell game. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's great that you point that out too, because that uh, you know that Bob Ryan interview I listened to a little bit earlier, uh, he said that one of the things that Russell kind of annoyed him was you know people would say ah you know such a great defensive player, and he would stop him and say you know I was, I was a really good offensive player too, I just I didn't need to, I didn't. Why am I going to take a bunch of shots when I have all these other guys that are better shooters than me? Why am I going to take a bunch of other shots when all these other guys I can get them all opportunities? And he kind of would push back against that and say, hey look, when I needed to get a point, I got a point. When I needed to score, I could score. Uh, and I'm glad that you brought that. Came up that that is one for sure, and and I, I know Jason, you have uh, some numbers about some other playoff scoring outputs that he had too. It's like when that sure. dude needed to, when he needed to put up thirty points, he put up thirty points. You know, when he needed to score, he could absolutely score. And and in that case, like you said, it's great too, Curtis, that when he had to make free throws, eh, it wasn't his strong suit, but he had you know in that game, he knew he had to do it. He had to do it, and it, whatever it took to win, no matter what, no matter what that was, he was going to do it. And 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 yeah, that's. Arguably one of my favorite Bill Russell games, too, just because it proves to people that, no, 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 this dude, if he needed to, he could score. He just he didn't need to all the time. Right. Yeah, he had he had seven 30-30 games in his career. Four of them actually happened in the playoffs, and three of them were in that 1962 playoffs. Uh, two of them happened against Will Chamberlain in the uh, 62 Eastern Division Finals. So he was on a, I mean, you know, a, a hell of a run there. They, <laughs> yeah. That was obviously, and that was excuse me, the Warriors, not the Sixers. I believe I said Sixers, but yeah, 62 Warriors. They needed seven games to beat them, and then they needed seven games to beat the Lakers that year. So that was probably their uh, toughest playoff run, at least until, you know, the very end. Uh, the other playoff, 30-30, by the way, was 30 points and 38 rebounds. It was a deciding game of the 61 finals against the Hawks, which basically ended the Hawks run as the Celtics main challengers in the first five years of their dynasty. So yeah, he was absolutely, you know, killers. We said, we'll have some other, you know, um, really strong box score, um, you know, some of his top games as well, but obviously, yeah, the, the 30 points, 40 rebounds, you know, in the 62 finals, you know, on a high percentage, um, you know, probably, you know, his masterpiece. Yeah. Okay. Here, just just I brought up the box score. So, you know, we got to be correct here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I've slightly mixed up the field goal percentage in that right. game seven against the Lakers. He shot forty four percent. So my bad. Right. Yeah. The free throw was correct. Yeah. It was the previous game, game six, which was still a, a must win because uh, the Celtics were down three two in that series. Uh, that's the game where he shot fifty five percent from the field. Uh, but he had nineteen points, twenty four rebounds, and ten assists. So yeah. like. It's like, all right, Bill, you only scored 19 points, but you dished out 10 assists. Uh, so, 
Hey, thanks for saving our butts. Uh, you know, must win uh, game six, then got back home to Boston, then got the must win game seven, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's just, um, uh, yeah, just uh, amazing. And, you know, um, you know, the, the fact that Russell, you know, was 10 and 0 in game sevens uh, in his career. Uh, he played, yeah, this, this was, this fact was bouncing around a bunch from uh, on Twitter, but yeah, he played. 21 winner take all games in his career between the NBA, the Olympics and the NCAA tournament. His teams went 21 and 0 in those. Uh, and then in those games, in those 10 game sevens, he played 488 uh, out of 495 possible minutes and averaged 29.3 rebounds. So just, yeah, just amazing. And he never had, I don't think he ever had fewer than 21 rebounds in those uh, 10 um, game sevens and performed really well in the vast majority of them. So, Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, some of the great, um, some of my favorite stories uh, about Russell, there's, um, you know, Russell was not particularly uh, into practice, especially later on in his career. So they eventually he would start just uh, ruining practice by blocking every shot that came near him. Uh, sometimes Arbach would just tell Russell to go home early. You know, the days he just called off practice completely because there wasn't really much point because, uh, uh, you know, there wasn't much point he was there. And then later on, you know, in his career, um, you know, basically Arbuck was like, yeah, there's rules for different rules for Russell, there's different rules for everybody else. And you would just sit out practice and, you know, sit, uh, sit in the bleachers and uh, be reading his paper and drinking his coffee. So I, uh, I, I enjoy uh, those, uh, whenever I feel like I want to slack off, you know, I always just think about uh, <laughs> right. Russell. Yeah. He's getting practice and he yeah, yeah. Fine, yeah. So, and you're yeah. of equal, you know, success and accolades as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Right. Feel free. Yeah. Just sit and drink your coffee and and read your paper. Your, uh, your, your daily, your afternoon daily or whatever you're reading, uh, here. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, you know, stories and, and, and games and, and my probably favorite Bill Russell game ever is that 69 game seven. Uh, it's, you know, the balloon game. And I don't know, do we know what the exact quote is? Cause I know that half the people say though, you know, those fucking balloons are staying up there. Uh, some other people I see say, you know, I want to watch them take the balloons out of the net by hand. Uh, I don't know. It, d- d- Curtis, do you know that if any of those were actually his quotes or those just kind of uh, end up being, you know, legend, they're great yeah. quotes no matter what. I mean, who cares? Yeah. I'm sure he said something similar, but. I've actually heard audio of him saying to, uh, to pick the balloons okay. down right. one by one. I've heard audio of that, but I've never heard, obviously not, not heard the audio of the, you know, the effing balloons are staying up there. So uh, yeah, I could, I could see him saying that to old Sam Jones. Yeah. Saying, yeah. In the <laughs> right. locker room or whatever on the court, but like, <laughs> right. I, I have heard audio. Okay. All right. I'm pretty sure it was him. Like I've heard that quote in audio form. Uh, I can't remember if it was him specifically or like, someone saying Bill said that, but like mm-hmm, I've heard mm-hmm. someone actually say those. Words, okay. But yeah. I mean, that that's just an all time. I mean, just showing up to the game, you know, I believe it was Sam Jones finding out that there was a yep. whole plan for, all right, so Jack Kent Cook is going to interview this guy at this time, and then the band's going to play this song, and and those guys being like, no, 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 we're not doing that. And, and you know, Russell, he's you know, the player coach at this time, and it's not his greatest game, obviously. It's six points. I still have 21 rebounds, a cool 21 rebounds, not bad. Uh, two of seven from the field, but again, it speaks to just him, you know, galvanizing that locker room. You will not hear from another guy. You won't hear – everybody on that team will say that it was – Bill Russell, they got in that room and he was like, we're not losing this 
game. You know, we're not losing this game. And, and you know, Havlicek has an incredible game there. He has 26 points or whatever. Uh, after the game, Russell will, will thank Havlicek. He'll thank all these guys and say, you know, these guys, you know, bailed me out. These guys got me here. The, it's all about these teams. You know, I didn't do anything. And, and it's still, it's like, well, you're, you're, you know, you're the player coach. So yes, you did something. <laughs> yeah, you're not, sure. you know, maybe right. you didn't score a ton of points. Maybe you didn't score 25 points, but you are the player coach and, and you presided over, over that win, which is, you know, and it's not the most talented Celtics team. I mean, it's Havlicek still pretty early in his career, but he's, he's starting to, you know, emerge as, as, as being, you know, a guy that's like, oh, wow, this guy's going to take over when all those other guys go. But otherwise, it's, you know, Russell in, in his final, final, you know, season. He's, he's, you know, still playing pretty good. He's still Bill Russell, but he's not, you know, what he was before. Sam Jones is starting to slow down a little bit. Down, I mean, and then on the other I mean, side, it's Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Will Chamberlain. It's like that team rocks. And then, you know, yeah. the, 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 the bench depth on, on, you know, LA is a little bit better than it is on Bob. And it doesn't matter. It just does not matter. Nothing matters because they have Bill Russell. And he just I mean, does not let that team lose. Yeah, that, that was also Sam Jones's final game too. Oh, right, so yeah, I, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, that was Sam, an old team. Yeah, yeah. And, and Sam, of course, has passed away like seven months ago. So, right. uh, yeah, Sam had yo shoots. How about this? Uh, Sam Jones is like thirty-five years old or thirty-six, and he was ten for sixteen for twenty-four points in his last game. <laughs> yeah, not bad. <laughs> That's a good way to go. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, yeah. There's a another. There's a great story that I hadn't heard from. It's from the Athletic, and uh, Bill Walton's actually telling the story, and he says. Uh, Jack Twyman's in the locker room before the seventh game. He looks at Bill Russell and says, with the camera rolling, he puts the microphone in his face and says, okay, Russ, what's going to happen? And Russell looks at him, looks at the camera and says, we're going to win. And Twyman is taken aback. You know, Twyman's a Hall of Famer. As a television analyst, he's taken aback. He looks at Russell and he says, well, how do you know? Russell looks at him, looks at the camera, and just sneers right at the camera. We've done this before. So, <laughs> yeah, just cool. That's, yeah, that's, like, that's like some clever laying. Yeah, right he's the, just right. the coolest <laughs> fucker in the world, man. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, imagine having that, that confidence. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I would know, not. And, <laughs> I'd have. love to have that for a minute of my life. I uh, not today, maybe tomorrow, <laughs> but uh, probably not. So. Well, I, yeah. I I don't know if this is the right time to bring it up, but this came to my mind as we we're talking about this. Um, you know, I honestly, you know, as a historian, I like to you know remember that you know people aren't perfect. So like sure. uh, Bill Russell himself had to acknowledge that like he had to you know grow into the role as a coach so like that first year he was a player coach he he admitted later on to like yeah i kind of didn't know what i was doing exactly uh he had a really hard time managing his own minutes while also paying attention to other people's minutes and just yeah you know doing the the, uh, the two different roles at the same time um and so that you know also that happened to transpire at the exact same moment the 76ers had their their greatest team ever uh the 1967 season so you know it's Hard to tell, like, if Russ had been, you know, completely on this game as a coach and player, whether they could have beat the Sixers that year. But Russ said, like, no, nah, they had the better team than us, so we deserve to lose that year. Uh, but he said that, like, the next season, uh, the 68 season, so his second one as player coach, uh, he said that he was much better attuned to, uh, you know, being a coach, but also being aware of what he was capable of doing, what the other guys on the court were capable capable of doing, um, monitoring people's minutes, uh, kind of delegating a little authority to other people on the team. So, uh, I know a Havlicek, and I forget who else, but uh, he kind of designated other people as kind of like the co-coaches to be like, hey, make sure that you monitor and make sure I'm not like uh, overplaying some people on the court. It's like, uh, like I can't pay attention to everything that's happening during the game, so make sure you guys are also keeping an eye out. So uh, he kind of learned to kind of loosen the reins a little bit uh, the next year as a coach. So uh, even Bill Russell has growing pains, even in like his 11th or 12th year in the NBA. Yeah, and he definitely, I mean, he had mixed – 
uh, track record as a coach overall. I mean, you know, oh he, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> putting we need it to lightly, putting it lightly. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> you know, he, he coached the Sonics, of course, in the seventies, and they were certainly better. Yeah, yeah. Than, than he, they he had. did all right. Yeah, uh, yeah, but they definitely he um, wore them out. They wore him out by the end. You know, there's a, a great story and uh, from the book of "What's Happening," which is you know basically a book of the seventy-seven uh, Sonics, kind of the seventy-eight um, landscape of the league. And um, and I, I wish I remembered the specifics, and I forgot to look it up before here. But basically, you know, he's been, you know, the the team has hated him, and he's hated the team for basically the entire season. He's he's ready to go. You know, they're not happy with him, uh, so on and so forth. He's been kind of feeding with them the entire time. He he knows he's about to leave, and there's a practice where you know, and he's about forty at this point, so he's you know obviously older, but still you know he's uh, athletic at, at that point. And he just goes out of his way basically to, you know, punk, uh, you know, some of the Sonics in practice. Like, you know, he won't let them, like, he keeps like, continuously blocking their shot. It basically is just like a way of enforcing. It's like, yeah, I still got it. I'm still the man. You know, I'm still better than you'll ever be kind of thing. You know, and it was, it was petty, but it's all <laughs> awesomely petty. So, uh, yeah, that's a fun one. You know, one thing that I really like is um, some of the stories about, you know, him trash talking, you know, some of the uh, younger uh, guys or just his relationship with some of the uh, younger players, even the great players. There's, um, you know, there's a story about, uh, you know, Russell playing golf with uh, Michael Jordan. And then, you know, they're basically, uh, you know, it's right. They haven't won all the titles yet, but they've won some of their titles. And uh, Jordan says, yeah, you know, we're going we're going to go after your record. And then Russell's like, yeah, which one? You know, so, um, you know, I like the fact that he's you know talking trash about Michael Jordan, you know, talking trash to Michael Jordan back and forth. And they're you know talking about like, you know, Russell's Jordan's like, oh, yeah, you guys only had like eight teams or whatever. And then, yeah, I was like, yeah, well, we you know, we didn't have to you know, we weren't diluted by expansion either. He didn't say it that way, but basically it's like, yeah, but on in one hand, yeah, we had fewer teams. On the other hand, you know, I always had to fight, you know, basically the best guy or one of the top guys in the league, just because, you know, things weren't thinned out by having a larger thing. So obviously, yeah. you, and, you know, yeah, go ahead. And he's solely right about that too. It's, it's something that, you know, I wish more people would push back against when they say like, Oh, there was only eight teams in the league and all that sort of stuff. And I, I heard Kareem was on, uh, on uh, Sirius XM earlier today. And he was just like, yeah, I mean, put, today's NBA and condense it to eight teams. Like that's a, that's a grueling, right. that's hard as hell. Like that's not easier. That's not, you know, every team, there's just dogs on every team, you know, five, 10 deep on every single team. I mean, it, it's just easy to say, Oh well, yeah, it was only, you know, of course their chance, it was a lot easier to win a title. Cause no, it was not that easy because you were playing the best players every single night, no matter what. And, and, you know, the, 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 you know, playing Will Chamberlain, I think it was 142 times or something like that, or 143 times in, in the regular season. I mean, you didn't get a break. You didn't get a break any night against any of these teams. And, and that's, you know, something I wish more people would push back on when, you know, you get these just very, you know, basic, generic, you know, oh, well, it was easier to win in the next 60s because there was only this amount of teams or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, there was a few fewer teams, but there were, you know, a lot of good players and they were on yeah. fewer teams. You know, that's it. It's right. It doesn't make it all the way easier. It makes every game a lot harder. So, yeah, I, I, you know, right. I, I wish more people would, would bring that up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And speaking of Kareem, you know, he told a story on his uh, Substack. Uh, he said he was 67 years old when he finally got the courage to ask uh, Bill for something he'd wanted since meeting him 53 years ago. He told a story about meeting Kareem at, or uh, meeting Russell at 14 years old when he was um, in high school. And he uh, actually asked um, 
he asked you asked Russell for an autograph and uh, you know, Russell was notorious for, I, I guess notorious is the right word, but it was well known for not giving autographs. He said he'd rather, you know, shake somebody's hand or tell a story. He didn't really want to, um, you know, do that. He wouldn't even give t- autographs to his teammates for a very long time. Later on, he, he kind of relaxed that. He actually um, made quite a bit of money on the autograph market by, you know, s- signing it for collectors. So uh, it was a way for him to make income later in his life. But um he said, uh, you know, he said, yeah, he, he pulled out the, the his jersey for the Celtics. He held a black Sharpie and then he gave me a long look. He took the jersey and Sharpie, he signed to hand it back. And then he said, uh, he said, Kareem said, thanks. And then Russell said, sure, kid. And he said, he continued to call me kid since our first meeting when I was 14. I think that was his good natured way of reminding me that he was there first and I would always be following in his giant step. So that was a... Uh, that was really cool. There's also another story about um, you know, a few years into Kareem's career. Obviously, they never faced each other. You know, they were right on the edge of each other. And a writer asked uh, Russell how he would have done against Kareem, and then uh, Russell replied, "Young man, you have the question backwards." So, that's a, I like that story. Yeah, that, that sounds like Russell. He, yeah, the, the quiet trash talker. Yes. Would never directly insult somebody else, but he would just yeah have these little bars to make sure that you kind of get the respect in order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I, I like some things about um, you know Russell's um, psychology. There's a, a, a SI article from Frank Ford, which was written in, in 1999. Um, you know, when Sports Illustrated was celebrating its 60th anniversary, talking about the top athletes and. You know, he told a few stories about, um, you know, how Russell would uh, like kind of take it easy in, in training camp. And, you know, kind of some of the rookies, some of the young players uh, would think like, oh, yeah, maybe he's lost it. Maybe he's, uh, you know, got it. But then in the first game of the real season, he would suddenly, uh, you know, he would, he would play like he used to play and he would, you know, be intimidated. And the, and the Celtics were known for getting um, out to fast starts and trying to get a, uh, you know, a, a large lead, you know, for the first, you know, 30 games of the season there, and then kind of taking a little bit easier after that once they, once it was clear that they were going to win the division again. So I thought that was a fun one. Even Russell said himself that like, he'd like to, as he came out for a game, um, I'm going to try to get this, uh, this quote here that he, uh, uh, I'm losing it right now, but, uh, basically, uh, he would say that uh, that he would uh, he kind of like would try to like come out like looking like he was like a little bit sleepy, looking like he was um, not quite, um, you know, all the way there. Yeah, he would. Um, he said, I'd look at everybody disdainfully like a sleepy dragon who can't be bothered to scare off another would be hero. He recalled, I wanted my look to say, hey, the king's here tonight. Damn. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's yeah. uh that's pretty awesome. Um, you know, one thing, and and we've talked a lot about, you know, the the, the good uh, in in Russell's career and the, and the accomplishments and that sort of stuff. And you know, we touched on it a little bit, but I think you know now might be a pretty good time to to dive into it. Um, the Tommy Heinsohn quote that I, that I'll bring up, and we'll talk about his you know complicated you know his complicated history with the city of Boston and and hell with sure. America really. Uh, it says, look, all I know. The guy won two NCAA championships, 50-some college games in a row, the 1956 Olympics. Then he came to Boston. He won 11 championships in 13 years, and they named a fucking tunnel after Ted Williams. Yeah. um, Sounds about right for Tom Heinsohn. Right. Let me try to find this quote I have from Tommy Heinsohn. But uh, but go ahead, Jason. It's going to take me a minute to find this quote from Tommy. Sure. Yeah, I, and I, you know, this is also a good way to to kind of get to some of the more details about Russell. Um, you know, as a 
strong, outspoken black man as a, uh, you know, an advocate of civil rights, of social justice, of uh, black empowerment. That was, uh, there were, there were, just having freedom. Can I have freedom, please? I am a citizen of this country. Do you mind if I have freedom? Mm. Sure. No, and, really. and that obviously yeah. rankled a lot of white people and a lot of white people in, in Boston during uh, that time. I mean, obviously, you know, the atmosphere in Boston is known as being you know, extremely you know, virulent. Um, you know, the, I mean, Russell had to deal and his family had to deal with, you know, racial slurs, of course, across the country, but especially, you know, a, a lot in Boston. Obviously, you would see that mostly by living there. You know, there's stories of like vandalism in his home of, you know, like people like defecating in his, his bed sheets, you know, just just horrible, horrible things for, uh, you know, for just reasons is that he wasn't just willing to be quiet about the things that he um, believed in, the things that he a- advocated for. I mean, yeah, he was obviously on the four. Uh, front of the civil rights movement, you know, he went to, um, you know, Mississippi to um, help, you know, uh, with the civil rights struggle there and help, you know, bring, had some, you know, basketball camps down there to bring some, you know, some uh, good cheer to the people who were down there and help supporting them. So it you know, did all kinds of things for social justice in his career. Obviously, most of those things are, well, those things are now seen most by most people as heroic, but at the time they were obviously very uh, controversial with the you know vast majority of, of uh, white people at the time. Yeah, and that's uh, actually at the very beginning of the pod when you asked me, um, you know, whatever, whatever your question was, your grand question about Bill Russell. Uh, my, my first thought was actually like Bill Russell was really cool because he helped me write my dissertation real easily. Uh, well, as, as easy as you can write a dissertation, uh, like his two memoirs, uh, you know, his old memoirs, um, Go Up for Glory and Second Winter, you know, just such good. Um, especially going for glory. I uh, was so good at just capturing the NBA because that came out in 1966. So like, that's just great at capturing the moment uh, right then and there of how the league was operating. Um, but in reading his memoirs, you know, obviously newspapers and other people's memoirs, like Lenny Wilkins and others, um, like just people like Bill Russell just helped um, and Elgin Baylor too, uh, helped kind of give a kick in it ass to NBA players, uh, particularly the white ones, because this is something I kind of came to a conclusion through my research was just like, uh, as Rich said too, like Bill Russell's like fighting for freedom. So in his workplace, that meant like, you know, <laughs> getting some uh, benefits for, for playing in his basketball league. <laughs> right. uh, but like Bob Cousy had founded the the players union like in 54, if I remember right. Um but Cousy was kind of like, you know, he knew it was right. But Cousy was like, um, as he said many times over the years, is just kind of like, you know, averse of conflict. So like, he was like, we need these things, but I'm kind of, I'm not trying to push the envelope too far. But when you get these black players like Bill Russell and Elgin Baylor, who are like, um, no one do we want a pension. We also want this racism crap to stop. So like, uh, they came in like with a much more, um, like black power is not a thing in the late 1950s, but they came in with just a more militant attitude on a number of things. And so, um, like on the one hand, so let, let me put it this way. On the one hand, Bill Russell wasn't Bob Cousy in the way that like he wasn't averse to conflict uh, on the labor front. But then also Bill Russell wasn't, say, Earl Lloyd or Chuck Cooper, like the first wave of black players in the NBA, because Earl Lloyd and Chuck Cooper, they kind of were just trying to make sure that black players had any place in the NBA. So they were kind of afraid that if they rocked the boat too much, integration is going to stop completely. They're going to kick out all the black players and then you won't have um, anything going forward for them. 
well, when you get Bill Russell and Elgin Baylor in the league, like they pretty much established you can't operate this league without us, these black superstars. Like as good as Earl Lloyd was, Earl Lloyd was still just a role player, a very good role player, but still a role player. Like Bill Russell and Elgin Baylor, they're anchoring these franchises. So they have the power now to demand that the NBA no longer um, acquiesce to these racist Jim Crow accommodations or these games. So uh, and that gives a backbone to a lot of the white players too. And they realize like, Oh wait, the black guys stood up to the owners on racism and the owners kind of caved, like not all at once, not all immediately, but slowly they cave over time to what they demanded. And so the white players begin to realize like, well, shit, you know, we can, you know, join up with our black brothers here and like to push for our labor rights. And, um, that brings it back to Tommy Heinsohn. Like, you know, he's upset about Boston not naming that bridge, uh, that tunnel, excuse me, that tunnel after uh, Bill Russell. Well, Heinsohn, he had a quote in his memoir where he wrote that, uh, I found the quote finally, uh, where he said, like, you know, he and Bill Russell were talking, I think it was their rookie year because they were both rookies the same season. And uh, Heinsohn wrote that, uh, he talks about how Russell said on the West Coast, uh, they once picked Kenny Sears, great player, but white. Uh, they picked Kenny Sears of Santa Clara as player of the year over Bill Russell. And Russell told Tom Heinsohn that this was just because Sears was white. Russell wasn't saying Sears wasn't a good player, but Russell was also like, I'm better than Sears, though. Like, I led San Francisco to two straight NCAA titles. No way is Kenny Sears a better player than I am. And Heinsohn was just like, no, that can't be true. This is what he's thinking as a rookie. But then he's like, (laughs) admits when he wrote the book, he's like, well, he's like, nah, at that point in time, I wouldn't accept that such a racial explanation could be the explanation. But then he writes, uh, through my years with the Celtics, after Russell joined the team, I learned that there were such things uh, that, you know, white people would be so racist as to give an award to an undeserving player over a more deserving player simply because of their race. So uh, Bill Russell gave backbone and uh, also opened the eyes to a lot of white players in the NBA to realize that, like, yeah, there's a lot of racism going on, Uh, but also that you can also stand up on the labor front too, for what you want and demand. And like Bill Russell showed them that it was possible to do this. Um, so for me, that's what makes Bill Russell so important is that like, yeah, his fight for freedom was a racial fight, but it was also a fight on labor rights. It was also a fight for social justice, economic justice, uh, dem- democratic justice. Uh, I was just rereading part of his memoir earlier today, and he was just talking about all these different things in 1979. I'm like, wow, this is all pretty relevant for today. Um, and as Rich said earlier, like he was still, you know, protesting in his own way. Uh, he's pretty old, of course, but was still protesting in his own way on Twitter, uh, commenting on what he saw was going wrong in American society. So, uh, so yeah, uh, sorry for that kind of little bit of a rambling answer, you know, kind of weaving oh, in and out no, there. That's, but, that's absolutely uh, but, but, no, but, no, but that's what makes uh, Bill Russell so great uh, and how he affected the racial climate of the NBA uh, back in the 50s and 60s, but even America, uh, really to the day he died. So, yeah. No, and that's that's great, and yeah, and I think he, you know, in the later years, I think he added, um, you know, some, like I think the fact that he's weighing in on the more modern social protests, like gives them some additional weight maybe with people that it wouldn't have if it weren't for Russell, just because of the respect that he had, you know, I, I mean, there's other guys doing it too. I'm not saying it made, it made you know like a complete difference, but I think you know the the picture of him kneeling. You know, um, and with the Presidential Medal of Freedom around his neck, you know, I, I do think that those things, um, you know, were a great way for him to weigh in, and were, you know, I, I think were uh, you know, somewhat beneficial for the cause. But yeah, and you talk about you know what he did, obviously um, for labor rights. You know, there's um, 
1961 game um, in Lexington, Kentucky, where, yep. you know, he and other players are refused service uh, at a restaurant before the game. So, you know, he and those players end up, you know, boycotting the game and leaving it. You know, there's a, a famous story with Frank Ramsey, who he was close with, uh, you know, Ramsey is, you know, asking, um, you know, Russell's like, Hey, I, you know, I, I know this is horrible, but I, you know, it would really mean a lot to me if you played this game. And Russell is just like, Hey, I'm a man, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I, I can't do this. I can't, you know, accept this kind of treatment. I can't play this game, you know, after this has happened and, you know, eventually Ramsey um, understanding that, but, uh, but that was definitely a controversial stand, um, you know, during that time, you know, Elgin Baylor had a similar one in, um, in West Virginia around the same time. So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Baylor, Oscar Robertson, you know, all those guys really, really, um, you know, again, because they're so great at the game, because they're so important, their teams, they're able to, you know, push boundaries and are able to, um, you know, eventually gain larger black representation for the league, um, able to, you know, to battle past, you know, the unofficial quota system um, and able to transform the game into, you know, majority black game and it's such an important game for um, black culture. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of what Curtis talked about earlier, you know, setting the template, too, for then labor issues in the NBA later of saying, hey, look, right. you can just boycott a game. You just not show up, and these guys can't do yeah. anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? If we're not right. here, if we're not playing, there's no game. So you know what? If there's something you, you want, if there's something you really, really think is important, you don't have to play. You just don't show up, and they will either say, all right, game's canceled, everybody hears your money back, or they will meet your demands. And, and, and you know, we saw that later, uh, a couple years later with the All-Star game uh, after that. So that, you know, it, like Curtis said, it, it – it was a way not only to, you know, speak up for what was going on with his race, but then also kind of set the template for just labor issues in general for the NBA, which is 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 not equally important, but very important for for a number of people as well. I mean, it. Um, I mean, they they went hand in hand for like Bill Russell and because um, like you know as he's thinking about it, you know, like uh, well, just think for example with the nineteen sixty three uh, March on Washington. Which Russell actually had critiques of. He was like, "This is a little too much kumbaya going on here." Uh, <laughs> uh, Russell's like, "This is like, like this is getting a little diluted." Like he he still approved of the march, but he's like, "It's not as militant as I would like it to be." Uh, but like the people don't often know that the full name of the march on Washington is the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And so, like the Civil Rights Movement wasn't just about like, "Oh, let's make sure that we have a we can sit at a lunch counter and order whatever you know sandwich we want." Uh, they also wanted to make sure they could get whatever job they were qualified to get or that they could get the training to be qualified for whatever job they wanted. So, you know, for Bill Russell, like, yes, you know, the, the NBA is a kind of peculiar workplace, but it's still a workplace. So for him, it's like, you know, if, if I'm a qualified basketball player, then I should be able to, you know, make the NBA and not be subjected to a quota system or if there's an award to hand out. I should get it over Kenny Sears if I'm better than Kenny Sears, which he was better than Kenny Sears. Um so in that regard, like they're very much connected. Um, and like, again, Russell knew that like, you know, the NBA is a very peculiar place, but he knew that like, you know, there are many kinds of NBAs out there across society where black people uh, were getting a fair shake, uh, but also in the bigger scheme of things, he knew that all kinds of people weren't getting a fair shake uh, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, and this actually gets, um, this is something I often talked about with uh, high school students is, um, uh, also in 1963, you know, when Megar Evers was assassinated in Mississippi, uh, Bill Russell, you know, gave the basketball clinic in Mississippi shortly afterwards, the first integrated uh, basketball clinic in that state's history. And um, he got death threats, you know, like the Klan was like, hey, you don't run a basketball clinic where blacks and whites are going to be playing together. And Russell still did it. 
Uh, but he said uh, Russell wrote uh, shortly afterwards, again, in his 66 uh, book, uh, there was, you know, it was pretty sad commentary on the United States that he could represent the United States with the State Department and basketball clinics overseas in Africa, South America, Europe, even uh, he went to communist countries during the Cold War and put on like, you know, goodwill games. He's like, isn't it, uh, isn't it a shame and a kind of crazy that I can do all that? but I get death threats when I try to hold a basketball clinic in Mississippi in my own country. And he's born in Louisiana. So like, you know, in the state next to the one I was born in, I can't hold a basketball clinic without getting, without getting death threats. So um, his, his critiques of the United States were very searing, but right on point. And uh, it was definitely, I guess, uh, from race initially, but it, it would expand to a lot of other things uh, as time went on. So, um, but Yeah. I highly encourage people to go read his two memoirs, Go Up for Glory and Second Wind. Like those are just still fantastic books that hold up uh, still today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're both uh, terrific insights into obviously into his life and his career in the NBA at the time. And, um, you know, both are really amazing. Um, I'd like to get to a few more of the uh, top games of uh, his career. You know, we're uh, I, I found at uh, at stathead.com. Um, you know, one is uh, against the uh, Syracuse Nationals, February 5th, 1960, 23 points, 51 rebounds, the second most in a game in NBA history. Um, you know, 50 round, 51 rebounds is a, just an incredible number to think about. Obviously, there are more missed shots than there were more. Uh, it was a faster pace then. So, you know, the it's not a number that uh, we'd ever come close to today, but that's just you know incredible to think about. He had more rebounds than all of his teammates combined. Um, and he had 40 plus rebounds 11 times uh, in his career. As we said, he um, was, uh, you know, uh, second most rebounds uh, points or rebounds per game of any player other than uh, Will Chamberlain. Again, and as we talked about yet, yeah, just the way that he used rebounding as a weapon, you know, the driving the Celtics fast break, I mean, really transformed the, the style of the game and in, in so many ways that he was an uh, innovator on the court. We also have uh, game five of the 1966 finals against the Lakers, 32 points, which was his playoff career high, 28 rebounds. He was 32 at this point. Uh, the series was tied uh, two to two. The Celtics ended up winning the series in seven games. He also had 28 and 26 in an earlier overtime loss in that series and 25 and 32 in game seven of that series, man. Poor Jerry West, you know, uh, Alger <laughs> Baylor, man. They just, uh, they, they, they couldn't win. Um, literally couldn't win against uh, Bill Russell. <laughs> You know, a um, couple other games where uh, the Lakers were the victims, 25 points, 16 rebounds, nine assists in game three of the 68 finals. That's one where Boston won in six and then uh, 23 points, 25 rebounds and 10 assists in uh, game two of the uh, 1965 uh, finals. Um, I believe uh, I I thought I had written down the number of triple doubles that he uh, had in his career uh, here. He had, I think around 20 triple doubles uh, in, uh, in his career. And um, he is in his game sevens. He had 10 of them. He was 10 and Oh, two of them weren't overtime. And, and eight of those game sevens were five points or less. It's just, that's incredible to think about how many of those games were absolutely uh, close. And, you know, they, 
if he happened to win them all, obviously there was some luck there, but uh, you know, there's too many of those for that to be coincidence, but in those never had fewer than 21 rebounds, he had 15 or more points in all, but two of them, it only shot poorly from the field in, in two of them. I mean, I would say eight of those games were absolutely, you know, terrific games on um, his part. So yeah, just, you know, remarkable performer, you know, in, um, you know, in, in pretty much all aspects of the game and, you know, and just, uh, you know, the NBA community obviously is going to, uh, you know, miss him tremendously. So. Yeah. I, I remember a few years. Oh my God. I can't remember how many years ago now it was, uh, but a long time ago, y'all just go on Google and try to find it. Uh, I wrote an article for sporting news uh, about like the close calls of Bill Russell and like these kind of game sevens um, might've been some game fives as well. So those were do or die games depending on the series. Uh, yeah. But uh, I kind of just did it as an exercise of like, okay, like, even if Bill Russell got a little lucky sometimes, which of course he did, like, um, you know, Frank Selby shot uh, careening off the rim. Uh, like, that, that's lucky. Russell was not near that, that shot. Frank Selby was open. If he makes that, the Celtics lose. But anyways, I was like, even saying, like, if Bill Russell loses some of these really close calls that are kind of a coin flip, he still, he still easily comes out with six or seven uh, NBA championships. And it's just like, Okay, uh, so he was lucky to win four titles, but he absolutely did win six or seven of them. So it's just like, that's how good he was at corralling the talent on the Celtics. Uh, it's just, so if people want to complain about, like, you know, oh, it was only an eight-team league, it's like, well, you know, there's not really other, any other players. Like, if you want to give anybody, everybody else the benefit of the doubt. Like maybe <laughs> right, yeah. Every, a lot of other people played when he played, and they had yeah, only like, 11 rings. So Yeah, like, if, if the breaks had gone the other way, like, Bob Pettit has – Two NBA titles. Uh, Will Chamberlain might have three or four. Uh, Baylor and West might have three or four. Uh, Bill Russell still has six or seven. So right. he's still standing tall above the other players of his era, even if the breaks, uh, we give it the benefit to the other guys uh, who ended up on the wrong end of the stick uh, in some of those games. Uh, so that really just speaks to the kind of the domination uh, that him and his Celtics had uh, back in that era. Yeah, and, and it extends. Obviously, we don't know. Uh, I mean, his college career is is legendary as well. It's not like this, you know. Yeah. A lot of other people play college basketball at that same time as well. Right. Very few people dominated the way he dominated. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, is there some luck involved? Of course there's always some luck involved. Is there, there are big moments and big times where guys stepped up and and in some cases bailed him out? Like, I think there's the, the you know, when, when Havlicek steals the ball, I think the famous quote afterwards is Bill Russell saying, well, thank you. You saved my ass because I screwed up and, and uh, I, you know, I could have ruined that game for us, but you bailed me out and you did that. It, like, yeah, there's some luck involved. There's some other great, but yeah, it's still, this is one of the all-time most dominant players in Basketball history. You know, that's qualified at NBA basketball history. I mean, just look at everything that he did over the course of his basketball career. And this is a guy that just dominated and just won more than anybody else. And, and yeah. All right. Take a few away from him. Like you said, Curtis. All right. He still has eight. All right. Cool. Right. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. He's only got all eight right. titles there. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, what a loser. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> like, exactly. And yeah. then just, just a couple things on his offense um, that hasn't been mentioned yet. The assist numbers uh, for a center. Um, until Nikola Jokic came along recently, um, he, he's kind of, uh, you know, just skewed the numbers entirely these last couple of years. But uh, it was basically Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain as the best passing, or at least you can say best assisting uh, big man in NBA history. Like Russell right. averaged about four and a half assists per game. And like, honestly, those of y'all listening, go look up how many centers have averaged 
uh, three, let's just say like three and a half assists for their entire career. It is not a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, so like Russell and Chamberlain were at the top of that. Uh, they didn't give out assists easily back in the day. Like uh, this right. is something that people need to understand. Like rebounds were plentiful back then, but assists were not plentiful back then. So if you got an assist, uh, it was like directly leading to a shot, like either straight away a shot or one dribble in a shot. None of this. Oh, well, he kind of held it for five seconds and then took his <laughs> dribble and then you still get credit for an assist. Uh, so there's that front. Uh, but then there's also uh, the dunking. This gets overlooked all the time. Like Bill Russell was the first NBA player to dunk with regularity. Like that gets shortchanged. Like just, yes, players were capable of doing it beforehand, but most of them didn't have the audacity to do it. You know, most notably Jim Pollard uh, with the Lakers, the Minneapolis Lakers. But Russell was 6'10". And it was just like, uh, I'm really tall. And I can just like, you know, just jump over people and dunk the ball. Why am I wasting my time trying to be fancy with it? So uh, he made the NBA not just, uh, you know, I guess, say vertical defensively by just blocking a lot of shots, but also made it more vertical with the dunk. Um, and obviously, Will Chamberlain came in a couple of years later and made it even more uh, demonstrative. But uh, Russell deserves credit on that front, too, for being the first uh, player to use the dunk as a really an offensive weapon in NBA history. Yeah, and doing it in traffic, too, you know, going back and watching a lot of his his, his games and watching, you know, highlights and stuff. I mean, he the velocity that he'll just get up and just stretch that arm out. Like we said, he's not the tallest guy. Uh, there are definitely guys that, that that are taller, but very. Few but he's still six ten. Yeah, he's still six, a big boy. Yeah, he's like he's taller than Alonzo Mourning, the same height as Akeem Olajuwon. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the the velocity at which and the, and the speed at which you can see oh, him doing yeah. his dunks. I mean, that especially when you consider like who the NBA centers were before that. And that's I'm not disrespecting any of those guys, but then this guy coming, I mean, you see why he was such a dynamo because it's like holy. Holy crap, like look at this guy. He's yeah. jumping, he's running, he's dunking, he's doing this sort of stuff. That's not taking away anything from those guys that came before him. But man, nobody would. I mean, look at the yeah. speed and the velocity that this guy's playing with. You can see why it was a shock to the system when he comes in the league and he's just completely dominating things. And and like you said, the passing too, that was something that I always every time I'll go watch old Bill Russell things, you, you'll see him get the ball in the post, and it's almost like he's looking for the pass first. He could turn around and he's built around. You know, if he wanted to, he could probably turn around and make a little, you know, baby hook or just a little, you know, whatever the hell shot. But he's looking because one of the other Celtics is probably going to cut in the next few seconds. And you see it just every single time he hesitates for a second. And if someone cuts and they have a good cut, he passes off to them. And a lot of times they'll miss the shots because, you know, guys missed a lot of shots in those days, too. Right. Like you said, those assist numbers would maybe look a little bit different in, in, in different leagues. But, yeah, I mean, it's like the, the, you, you spoke to that, uh, Curtis, uh, five centers in NBA history. Average over four uh, assists per game, and like you said, Jokic is six point two. He's a different animal altogether. Like you know, we take him away. It's Maurice Stokes, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Alvin Adams. That's the entire list of centers that average over four assists per game in NBA history. <laughs> you know, uh, Jokic at six point two completely changes the game. Completely, you know, a different player. But yeah, it's it's it, it speaks like and and like you said, they weren't really giving them out a whole lot either. So. You know, imagine in this environment, in, in 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 this, you know, or hell, if he was playing in Utah during the days when John Stockton was playing, how many assists would this guy have? Who knows? Like, you know, Stockton was able, you know, hey, hey pump fake, dribble, pump fake, uh, hey, whoa, 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 hey, assists, you know, like, which I'm fine with. You know what? Hey, if you've got hey. a home score, you know, it's whatever it's, works. Yeah. yeah. All right, print led. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, any uh, closing thoughts? Hmm, I don't know, man. How to summarize Bill Russell when he closing right. thoughts? Well, yeah, I'm asking tough questions here. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think we're gonna have another guy like him ever again. Like like Curtis said at the top, like 
there's only I mean, Kareem is probably the 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 last guy that we'll have that has that sort of you know impact on on the game and on on humans you know in in, in a lot of ways it's like you know and, and you know not taking anything away from Kareem but I I do think Russell probably stands a little higher in, in that not you know again and Kareem did a ton I did a ton in yeah. his career but yeah it, it does feels like this is maybe one of the last few guys that we're going to have and and I spoke to a little bit earlier that like you know it, you you need guys like a Bill Russell to make people realize like what was going on in this country not that long ago. This isn't, you know, 200 years ago, not sure. that long ago, you know, a guy that, that, that was a contemporary part of our lives that, you know, us talking here went through all of this stuff. Kareem will, 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 will attest to that uh, as well, but we're, we're, we're getting lower and lower on the list of guys that, that, that are going to do that. And, and that's going to be unfortunate because now it's going to make it seem like it's farther in the past. Oh, you know, Oh, those that's when photos were black and white and video was black and white. It wasn't that long ago that this stuff was happening. And, and like we said too, a lot of the stuff is it's, it's not like everything's sunshine and roses now. Like, Oh, we solved all the problems. Everything is good to go. We're ready to go. But uh, no, we're, 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 he is going to be one of the last few guys that is going to have that sort of impact that we're going to talk about. You know, when, 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 when Michael Jordan passes away, Everyone's going to talk about the accomplishments. Everyone's going to talk about the rings and the scoring and the dunks and that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, the, the guys that are going to get equal footing, like Curtis said at the top, where, where they're going to be on CNN and they're going to be talking about what they did culturally. You know, we're few and far between. There's not too many of those players left in the world. And that that, that that's in some ways kind of stinks because it's going to make it seem like it was a lot longer ago that, that this sort of stuff happened. Sure. You know, I guess I'll say Bill Russell had um... – like there's just a weight to everything uh, that he did. So, um, I mean, clearly, I mean, you have some weight when you win 11 titles and five MVPs and my my mythical imaginary nine finals MVP awards that you should have that you should have in the case as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, to just to be someone you know who would hold a basketball clinic under threat of uh, threat of death, like. And just not give a I don't shit think either. there's a lot of NBA players like, right now who'd be like, they're like, hey, man, like, this group is threatening to kill you if you hold this basketball clinic. I think the player would be like, well, we're going to cancel the clinic. Wait, <laughs> understandably. Like, we'll cancel the clinic until things kind of cool off. But right. Bill Russell was like, that's the way America is right now. So that's what I got to do. So, um, so I, 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 I guess take this next part um, as even handedly as I'm trying to make it. But, um, like, I do think that we sometimes overvalorize people uh, in the civil rights movement from the 50s and 60s, just in terms of uh, we kind of make them more heroic. Um, because, like, you know, that's just the way the country was at that point. And so for them to be treated like humans, they had to do this stuff. So uh, the situation demanded that they be heroic. And so, like, obviously not everybody still at that moment. Some people were fine just to, like, slink away. But Russell should be lauded for standing up like that. Uh, but I would also like to think, though, that there are some NBA players today who, if they were transported, you know, back to 1957 or 1965, uh, still would have had to, um, you know, the wherewithal to still stand up in that kind of moment and be like, I'm not going to be treated like this anymore. So um, Bill Russell is definitely a, a unique and important human being, but also his circumstances also kind of elicited uh, this kind of heroic stand from him at, at, at many moments. Um, so. Uh, so I don't want to, you know, like crap on the current players, be like, oh, these guys would never do that. I'm like, yeah, hey, it's like I think a lot of them, if they were put in that same situation, would have responded in the same way as Russell. Uh, but it's just that, well, you know, we're we're glad that we did have people like Russell at that moment in 1960, and Oscar Robertson and Elgin Baylor, and um, even Tom Heinsohn, you know, the white guy who's like, 
yeah, this isn't right. They're treating the black guys like this. Like, at least, you know, he wasn't on the line like Russell was, but at least Heinsohn wasn't trying to hold Russell back. So um, give him 5% credit, too. But, like, you know, give Russell 95% of the credit. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like, you know, thanks to those guys doing what they did. Like, we don't want LeBron James doesn't have to have a death threat against him for trying to hold a basketball clinic uh, in, in Akron, Ohio. So, right. um, so that aside there, uh the weight with Russell is on that front, but it's also just in the way he comported himself, even in kind of just mundane matters. Uh, it's like if he was just doing an interview, just the way he spoke and carried himself, just let you know that whatever he was saying, you, you kind of had to just listen to it. Mm-hmm. Like there was some wisdom coming across, like whether he was talking about the heavy stuff like politics or injustice, clearly you listen to him. But even if he's just talking about, uh, how do you treat teammates? How do you play basketball? Like just what he spoke about that was also uh, weighty. Um, yeah, and just how he talked about people, um, his opponents, like, you know, his interviews about Will Chamberlain over the years. Uh, you know, they have they had a little tit for tat, you know, back in the late 60s and early 70s. They had, they had a bit of a falling out. Like, so, you know, they're still human, but uh, he would always still, you know, give his comp. Mr. Will Chamberlain uh, and his other opponents being like, you know, I played against some great players. Like he was never one to like, you know, discredit his opponents. Uh, but there's always weight to what he said. So when he complimented an opponent, you know that he did mean that that, that opponent was really good. And when he thought a team was better than him, when, when the Celtics lost, he didn't try to make excuses like, oh yeah, you know, we had bad luck. There. He's like, no, the other team was better. They beat us. Yeah. So uh, he would not try to detract from what other people did. So uh, yeah, just an honest dude uh, who gave a lot of weight to everything he did. And um yeah, it's going to be – as I say, it's going to be very doubtful that we ever see anybody like him again uh, in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, there's – you know, and, and you know, I saw the footage earlier of, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, sitting at the table and, and the, the dignitaries that were around him. And, and, you know, again, it made you – like I said, like there's not many more guys that are like that. There's not many more guys that lived through that that we're going to have those iconic images of. Uh, you know, seeing them sit at that table and 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 do what they do and 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 fight for what they're fighting for and speak for what they're speaking for. It, it's and that kind of sucks. It's just that we're we're you know it's it's good in the sense that you know progress has been made in some ways, but also it just sucks because you know the the like I said, it's just gonna feel like it was so much longer ago because all those guys, we're gonna look at that image and say, oh, all those guys are dead and they've been dead for a while, and it's you know we'll make it easier to think that it was farther in the past or make it think that we've kind of moved forward and, and that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, always, you know, that, that, that table, I think Kareem's at that table too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So it's yep. like, shit, you know, <laughs> right. you know, so at least we still have Kareem, but yeah, it's, it's, and we're going to, unfortunately, you know, from the NBA side, um, they've always had that thing. We've always talked about on, on this show that like remarkable that like most NBA MVPs are not dead. You know what I mean? Like a lot for a while it was just will. And then it was Kobe. And Kobe was, you know, under tragic circumstances. I, it's going to unfortunately start happening a lot more pretty soon because these guys are starting sure. to get to that age. So that that's also the thing too. It's like you know, NBA has has enjoyed a lot of the, the the older players being there, being visible, being up front, being you know, uh, you know, we can see them at All Star Weekend. We can see them during the championship, and little by little, those guys are going to start to kind of fade away. And 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 we've seen a lot over the last few years, and it's 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 definitely going to get real sad uh, real quick. So yeah. You know, I I think of just the influence that Russell has on the modern game about, you know, how we've talked about already, how he and Baylor, Oscar Robertson, Wilt, 
you know, were able to help, you know, grow the game to a point where it had the foundation that, you know, that, that it took off, of course, you know, the bird magic and, and Jordan era, the eighties and nineties and how, you know, the, the brave stands that, you know, Russell you know, was and others, his contemporaries were forced to take because of, of circumstances have, you know, made, what you know like somebody like LeBron is doing or Carmelo Anthony or Chris Paul or those guys who are you know they're advocating for social justice but but they're doing it and it's it's a much more acceptable thing I think a, a large uh, you know across the country than it was um 50 years ago obviously you know it's, it's a different um thing so um it doesn't seem as brave but but in a sense you know Russell paved the way for those to those things to be acceptable and obviously you know, his just setting a standard that yet yeah, no one can ever live up to basically in terms of, uh, you know, his championships and team and, and just how, uh, but that's you know something that everybody shoots for. You, you see all those, uh, you know, there's, there's a great clip of magic and bird and Russell just kind of talking. It's like, you know, magic's like, yeah, we're all shooting for this guy. You know, I got five, but you know, he set the standard so high. There's no way I could get there. There's no way that any of us could get there. So I just, I think that's, you know, uh, on the court and off the court, like you guys said, there's never going to be anybody uh, like him again. So we're thankful that, uh, you know, he uh, gave what he gave in his life. And, um, you know, this is uh, it's just it's such a tremendous uh, thing. And, uh, you know, for if you're you know interested um, in learning more about Bill Russell, you know, we did a 13 part series on uh, on his uh, career, Russell Mania, like six years ago, which is hard to believe it's been that long. And uh, Curtis was on some of those episodes. We'll share some links uh, to those as well for anyone who wants to get more into, uh, you know, his, his specifics of his rivals with Wilt or, you know, the, any of the other uh, teams that he played against. But lots of great stuff here. But this has been, uh, you know, a tremendous, uh, really enjoyable to uh, be on the show. Curtis, uh, you know, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Really uh, appreciate it. Oh, pleasure as always. Uh, love to talk hoops with you guys. You're so knowledgeable. You, you know your stuff. So great conversation as usual. Uh, thanks, everyone, of course, for uh, checking us out. And uh, we appreciate it. And thanks for listening. And we'll be back again soon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.